The text for the sermon this morning is 2 Samuel 19, verse 30. Before we read in 2 Samuel 19, we're going to get a bit more of the context in 2 Samuel chapter 16. So turn there with me first. 2 Samuel chapter 16. There we're going to read the first four verses. Here in 2 Samuel 16, David is fleeing the city of Jerusalem. His son Absalom is attacking. David is an old man at this point, and so he is slowly crossing over the Jordan River, going from uh, west to east. And we see here Ziba comes. We've read about Ziba in 2 Samuel 9. He's the servant of Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 4. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and an hundred bunches of raisins, and an hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? That is, where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I might find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. Now turn with me to chapter 19. We'll first pick up verses 14 and 15 that tell us about David's returning to the city of Jerusalem. And he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word unto the king, Return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. Now go down to verse 24. Verse 24, and we'll read from there to verse 30. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes, from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass, that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. 
And he hath slandered, that is, Ziba hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. For my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, forasmuch as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. We read God's word to that point this morning. Our text is that last verse. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, forasmuch as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. As we said, beloved, David, the aged king of Israel, is returning to his palace in Jerusalem and to the throne over Israel. He had been forced to flee Jerusalem to escape his own son, Absalom, who was trying to take over the throne and the kingdom of Israel from his aged father. Having left Jerusalem, escaped Absalom temporarily, the result was that eventually the armies of the two men met each other, David's army and Absalom's army. David's army defeated Absalom's army, and Absalom himself was killed in the process to the sorrow of David's aged heart. But now, with Absalom's army defeated and Absalom himself dead, David is making his return back into the city of Jerusalem, crossing the Jordan River to go and sit again upon the throne and rule over Israel. And as he's making his way back across the Jordan River to Jerusalem, 2 Samuel 19 informs us that a few interesting figures from David's past are there waiting by the river to welcome David back. The first of those figures is Shimei, who we did not read about, but this event is mentioned in 2 Samuel 19. Shimei, perhaps you know as that man who had cursed David when he was fleeing Jerusalem, going this way across the river to escape from Absalom. Shimei was along the top of the ridge when David and his men were in the ravine. And Shimei was throwing stones down at David and hurling curses at him as David was leaving. Well, now that Absalom is dead and David is returning, Shimei realizes that he's in some dire straits here. And so he comes to David really to try to make amends to brown-nose David, to try to get back into David's good graces. Shimei is a manipulator. And he says whatever it takes to keep himself safe. But in contrast to that Shimei, there is another character who welcomes David back to Jerusalem and to his throne. And that is this man, 
Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan. He is lame on both his feet. He cannot walk. And David had shown great compassion to him and exalted him to be a member of David's own household. This Mephibosheth, to whom David has shown such great mercy, greets the returning king, not the same way that Shimei greeted the returning king, but greets him with a true humility and with a love for the king. A humility and a love that we must give to the king greater than David on this Thanksgiving day and every day as that love and humility will lead to contentment and thankfulness to him in us. Let's take up the text under the theme Mephibosheth's love for his king. We'll notice first a past test, second humbled by grace, and third manifest in his life. Mephibosheth's love for his king, a past test humbled by grace, and that love manifest in his life. The words of our text, verse 30, Mephibosheth's words, are words that he speaks that shows that he passes a test that David had given to him. David gives Mephibosheth a test because in David's mind here in 2 Samuel 19, Mephibosheth has some serious explaining to do. Verse 25, And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth? Why did you not flee with me when I had to leave this city and escape from Absalom? A very legitimate question. Mephibosheth was part of David's household He had been exalted by David to be as one of the king's own sons. The whole house of David fled when David fled. It would not have been right for Mephibosheth to stay behind in the palace. If the king goes, then everybody who is that intimately connected to the king also goes. His life was tied to the life of the king. His allegiance was to be to the king. It was expected that he would flee with David. And yet, when David fled, there was no Mephibosheth. Where was he? There was, however, Mephibosheth's servant, Ziba. Ziba had ridden out to meet the king. And he had all kinds of gifts for the king. He had donkeys. He had raisins, he had fruits, he had wine, he had breads. We read that in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 16. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled and 200 loaves of bread and a 100 bunches of raisins and a 100 of summer fruits and a bottle of wine. And when David sees Ziba there with all of this, one of the first things he says is, where is your master? Where is Mephibosheth? You're Mephibosheth's servant, but where is Mephibosheth? Ziba lied there. 
And he said to David, Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an odd thing, isn't it, king? Why is it to hear? It's a very good question. I'll tell you why. He wanted to stay behind. He's the last remaining descendant of Saul. He's looking at this like an opportunity. When you go, maybe he will be able to rise up and become king of Israel. He could say, I'm the true king. I'm the descendant of the previous king, Saul. And that's why I, his servant, am here all by myself. Look what I've done. I've gathered all these things to give to you as the king. My allegiance is with you, O king, but Mephibosheth, no, no, no. He's back there hoping for treachery. So now in chapter 19, when David sees Mephibosheth there at the Jordan River, as David is returning back to his throne in the city of Jerusalem, he has a lot of questions for Mephibosheth. You have a lot of explaining to do here, man. Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Where have you been? You're here now. Is what your servant told me true? Did you stab me in the back? Were you hoping to take over the kingdom for yourself? Did you forsake me after all the kindness that I had shown to you? And Mephibosheth answers immediately, No, no, king. It was my servant who lied to you. It was my servant who was being treacherous. My servant Ziba, he's the one who's trying to climb the ladder here. I'll tell you what really happened. Because I'm lame, I told him to saddle an ass for me so that I could go and ride with you out of the city and flee with you and escape with you and show you my allegiance to you. And I'm the one who told him to get all of those presents together, to gather all of those loaves of bread and the, and the raisins and all of that to bring as a gift to you, O king. And he did. He gathered all of those things. He saddled the ass for me. He got the car started, loaded up the trunk, but then he got in himself. And he left me behind and there's nothing I could do about it because I'm lame. I couldn't chase after him. I couldn't get on a horse myself and get to him. And then Ziba came to you with all of this and he lied to you, David. And he said that he was the one who was bringing all of these gifts to you. And that I was being treacherous to you and you believed him, King David. You believed my servant, Ziba. And what did you do, David? You told Ziba, all of my estate was to be taken away from me. And was to be given to him, my servant. So that everything that was mine became his. And you've left me with nothing completely desolate. And what you would expect now, after Mephibosheth explains all of this to David, what you would expect 
is that he would sidle up to David and he would, he would grab David by the collar and say to David, and you need to make this right, my king. And you need to kill my servant. And you need to restore to me what was rightfully mine. Because after all, I am lame on both of my feet. I don't have anything. And how can I provide for myself? I can't go to work. I can't do anything. I'm left here desolate. I'm desperate here, David. But that's not what he says. In a deep, deep humility, all Mephibosheth says is this. My Lord, you are like an angel of God to me. Do whatever you think is good in this situation. What right do I have yet anymore to cry unto the king? And David, taken aback by all of this and somewhat unsure about all of this, who's telling the truth, who's lying, he decides to put Mephibosheth to a test. Though Mephibosheth does not know that he's being put to a test. Verse 29. And the king said unto him, why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba, divide the land. Half for him, half for you. Many people are very complexed by this, including commentators in commentaries. Why does David respond this way? Some have said that he's very harsh and he's being unjust here. That he's really responding to Mephibosheth in a wrong way. Why is he only giving half back? Ziba's the one who is lying. Others are very confused about the fact that David says, I have said, thou and Ziba divide the land. When David never did say, thou and Ziba divide the land. He had given the entirety of it over to Ziba. What's going on here? Well, it's not that hard to understand. David is trying to clarify this situation. And so what he's saying is a test for Mephibosheth. He's testing him to see if his allegiance is really to David, if he really loves David, if he's really in his heart given over to David. He's seeking to draw out what is really in Mephibosheth's soul and in his heart is Mephibosheth making this whole thing up. And now is he feigning this deep humility because he's like Shimei? And he just wants to manipulate David now that David is returning so that he can save his own neck? Or what's going on here? Or is this humility that Mephibosheth is, is showing? Is it really true? Has Mephibosheth really been with him all, of, all along? Has his allegiance been to him and he's been taken advantage of by his servant? What's really in Mephibosheth's heart? And so much like Solomon is going to do later 
in wisdom. When Solomon proposed to the two women that we divide the child in half and that will expose what's really in the heart, David says, let's divide the estate up. Half of it to you, half of it to Ziba. Because he knows that if Mephibosheth is faking this humility, just to manipulate him and just to get his stuff back, that this will push Mephibosheth over the edge. If David only gives half of his wealth back, Mephibosheth is going to be pretty upset if he's really faking this. And he's not going to be able to help it. He's going to object and he's going to say, but my servant is lying and I have the right to all of this. But if he's sincere, and he really loves David and has really been allied to David all this time, then in spite of not getting everything back, he's going to continue to interact with David in humility and contentment and thankfulness and love. The result of David's test is that Mephibosheth speaks out of his heart, beautiful, marvelous words of humility and love and devotion to his king. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. Divide the estate in half, you say? I don't care about the estate. Let Ziba have all of it. Give him all the land if you want. Give him all the money. Give him all the riches. That isn't what matters to me. If that's your will, O king, so be it. What matters to me is that you return to your house in peace. That you come back and that you come back in peace with me, that I know that you are at peace with me, that you look at me as an object of your love, that our relationship is restored. There's peace between us. Because what I care about, O King, more than, than any of that stuff, is my relationship to you. My union with you means more to me than any land, any goods, any riches that you have given me. Love for the king was in Mephibosheth's heart. And that's what David's test drew out of Mephibosheth's heart, exposed out of his heart. What would it expose in yours? And in mine, under such a test. Because you know, people of God, your king does 
test you sometimes this same way. And for the same reason. And me. He tests us to draw out the real state of our hearts. And so perhaps in his unfolding providence in our lives, he says, and now I'm going to take away some things from you. And now I'm going to send some turmoil into your life that had been going so smoothly, so normally. Perhaps I'll take away half of your investments and give them to somebody else. Perhaps I'll take away half of your income and you have to live on less now than you were expecting. Or maybe he says, I'll take away half of your health or half of the health of one of your children or half of the health of your parent or your friend. Or maybe I'll take away half of your sleep or maybe nothing on the surface but underneath I'll take away half of your joy so that the way of life that was easy for you and a joy for you is now somewhat a grind for you and difficult for you within. And then we will see what is truly in your heart. Is it about me? All of your, your speakings to me, all of your prayings to me, is it about your allegiance to me, your relationship to me? Or are you, are you like Shimei? You're, you're just trying to manipulate me to, to get stuff that you want from me. Do you love me? Or do you just love the things that you know I can give you and the kind of life you know I can give you. And you see, how the heart responds in times like these, and none of us responds perfectly, of course, but it reveals something, doesn't it? It reveals something of the heart, what comes out in these kinds of times. How much our hearts are set only on the things that He grants to us. Or how much they're set upon Him Himself, the King. What do you say when life gets difficult? When it's not exactly the way you wanted it to be or you thought it was going to be. When half of your dreams, it now seems like, are starting to fade away. Half of your plans for the future are not panning out after all. Do we immediately play the part of the victim 
Woe is me! Are we ready to respond to Jehovah God with anger? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Don't you know I've been faithful to you? How could you let this happen to me in my life? Or do we respond the way Mephibosheth responded? My Lord, do what seems good in thy sight. Take all of it away if you must. If that's what you determine is right and good. Just so long as I know that you look at me with peace in your eyes. And that you're coming back one day for me to get me in peace. That when you come to your throne, when you come to your kingdom in the end, to bring it to its fruition, to sit on the throne like you had not before, and to bring this relationship with your people to its highest point, that you're coming for me, that you're coming for me in peace, and that you won't cast me away, that there's peace between us. That's what matters most to me. And if I know that's the case, I can be thankful with whatever you decide in your good wisdom. You're the king, I'm not. It's best for my life. I can be content. Even if it's more difficult on this Thanksgiving Day than it was last Thanksgiving Day. Contentment is peace with one's lot as God grants that lot. And contentment is only possible, beloved, when one looks up into the eyes of the king and says, as long as I know that he's coming for me in peace, that he loves me and I love him, my life is in his sovereign kingly hands. If that thing is true, then I can be content with what he gives me. And content, thankful. Love for the king produces contentment. And contentment opens the door to thankfulness. For I have the greatest thing the thing that's the most important. The king is coming back one day in peace for me. How was Mephibosheth able to respond this way? How was he able? So that when David gave him this test that he did not know was a test upon him, he responds so beautifully so that his relationship to David is the heart of what matters to him. Well, the answer to that, beloved, is that Mephibosheth remembered grace. Look at what he says in verse 28. For, that is because, here is why, Mephibosheth can respond this way. For all of my father's house 
were but dead men before my lord the king, yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? Mephibosheth has not forgotten the deep, deep mercy that was shown to him in the beginning by this his king. Mephibosheth remembers that he was as a dead dog before King David, and that's his words that he uses in 2 Samuel 9. He was nothing. He was a dead man. He was from the family of Saul. Saul's family and Saul himself had tried to kill David, tried to prevent David from coming to the throne, the anointed of God. And Mephibosheth knows that once David got to the throne, he had every right to kill off any remaining family members of the house of Saul. This was common. This was understood in the Old Testament. That if a new dynasty came in, you killed off the remaining members of the old dynasty so that they did not have any claim to the throne. Mephibosheth knows David would have had every right to have killed him, the grandson of Saul. And yet David did the opposite. He sought out Mephibosheth. He was looking to show mercy to the remaining descendants of Saul. So that Mephibosheth, fearful for his life, living there in Lodabar, shaking and quaking, received a David who came to get him and to lift him out of his shameful position. And a David who brought him to his own house and made him as one of his own sons and had him sit at the king's own table every single meal. Mephibosheth had tasted grace, undeserved grace, and he never forgot it. So that even when an injustice is done to him by his servant Ziba, and it doesn't seem like David quite gets it yet, it doesn't matter to him. He's not going to press his claim. Because all that matters is that this one who has been so merciful to him, looks at him in peace. Is that you? Is that me? That will be the source of our valuing our relationship to the great king even more than whatever he decides to give us or decides to withhold from us, remembering grace. Because you too are by nature of a house of dead men before the king. You're born into the house of Adam that had rebelled against the king and deserved only death so that we're nothing before the king on our own. And besides that, we're lame spiritually on both of our feet, 
There's nothing that we can do to ride out to the king, to try to curry his favor. And yet, the king has reached down and by his sovereign grace, he's found us when we weren't looking for him. And he's placed new life into the hearts of his people and he's adopted them into his own house and made them his sons and daughters. He even brings them to his own table and has them sit there for a meal with him. You haven't forgotten that, have you? Even though you are now exalted as a child of God and have been for how many years, you haven't forgotten where you've come from, have you? And even though maybe we have disappointments now, we haven't forgotten who we are by nature, have we? Sinners saved by grace, grace alone. Your place in His kingdom and the peace that exists between you and Him, that's not something you've started to take for granted, is it? You haven't forgotten that that even right now, as princes and princesses in his kingdom, that you don't deserve that position any more than the day when he first put his grace upon you. It's only the constant memory of his great grace to us that will produce such a heart of love and of contentment and thanks no matter what he's doing in our lives. That feast of food that you're going to go eat in a little bit. We do realize that that's a gift, not a right. Right? That house that we're going to gather in Not a right, a gift. Two legs that are not lame. To walk and move and live your life. A gift. Not a right. All that he grants us. A gift. What right have we to cry anymore to the king? To cry out and to complain and to say, but why did you do this? Why did you decide that? Why didn't you give me this? I have the rights to nothing. Let him do what seemeth good in his sight. Just so long as I know that he's coming to get me in peace. Mephibosheth manifested his love for his king, the contentment in his heart 
and his gratitude to his king. In his actions, in his life, before David ever came back. And the whole time, David was gone. He manifested it in that he did not shave his beard or cut his toenails or wash his clothes the entire time David was gone. Verse 24, And Mephibosheth the son of Saul came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. What a sight and what a smell Mephibosheth must have been before David there at the Jordan River as David is returning. But even more than that, what a sight and what a smell must Mephibosheth have been before Absalom when David was gone. Remember that when David fled and Ziba's deception meant Mephibosheth stayed behind in the palace. Absalom came into the palace and saw Mephibosheth this way, lived with Mephibosheth this way, and Absalom knew exactly what it was. That this was a public declaration on Mephibosheth's part. If I can't go with my king, if I'm stuck here, then I'm going to show my allegiance to him while he's gone. Because you, Absalom, you aren't worth me getting up in the morning to shave my beard for and to cut my toenails for. And in protest to what you're doing, I'm not going to shave or wash my clothes until my king comes back to show that I'm with him, utterly with him. And that was dangerous, you know. It was risky. Absalom knew exactly what it was. And he could have killed Mephibosheth for it. But his heart was with David. And it showed in his life, in your heart, with your king. Does it show on more than one day a year when you offer some thanks to him? Does it show in your life so that you're bound to him? So that you're willing to look a little bit funny, strange to some people for the sake of your allegiance to your king. You're willing to smell a little bit spiritually funny to some people for the sake of your king. Are you willing to reek of Jesus out of love for your king until the day he returns? Then, beloved, though you may look a little bit strange to some, though you might have a funny spiritual smell about you to some, when the king looks down upon you, you are beautiful to him. <laughs> 
like this disheveled, pitiable man was beautiful in the eyes of his king. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearing and grant us a day and a week and a lifetime of expressing our love and thanks to thee for the great grace that's been shown to us. In Jesus' name, amen.